It's just past 18 hours, 30 minutes and 45 seconds East African time. Time for John Sibi Okumu on Wednesday. This being Wednesday the 26th of October 2022. Hamjambo na Hello and welcome. Our country is known throughout the world as a great sporting nation. But even as we have sportsmen and women who continue to achieve prodigious feats, that fame has taken a bit of a bashing in recent times, and all signs point to a period of decline in all manner of sports. Football, hockey, rugby, tennis, basketball, motorsports, you name it. However, we have a newly installed government whose newly appointed CS for Sports and Culture will be returning to a ministry in which he has served in the past. He has proclaimed that within a day or two of being in office, he will make a few deft phone calls and all will begin to be well again. But perhaps the rot has set in so much that no amount of reassuring politico-speak can undo it. It would be unfair to expect our guest for this edition to have answers for everything to do with sport, but he is well-placed to express some informed views. I first met him last year when I had the privilege to be head juror of KISF, the Kenya International Sports Film Festival. This year's hybrid version will begin tomorrow for four days until Sunday. He wears another significant hat as an outgoing commissioner of the KFC, the Kenya Film Commission. So let me throw him into the deep end by asking him to respond to the people's answers to the question, is sport in Kenya doomed? J. Sporti humwinchini imo mashakani. One of the main things that we've suffered from as a country is in terms of funding. Let me, tell, let, me, let me just break it down to just funding. If you're not capable of paying for them for the two, three hundred thousand Kenyan shillings for you to go for the swimming in Uganda, then you just stay in Nairobi. So the sport becomes for like the rich, so to say, right? If you're not rich or you don't have the money, well, too bad for your swimmer, you just stay at home. Uh, training in the country, yes, will be good, but then not up to that level of the Olympic level. So in the US, the government gives the support together with the universities and the certain different clubs. Let me put a passionate call to our county government, particularly here in Central Region. This facility has not been properly maintained. Football has not grown to any level because of too much wrangling from the administrators, right from the national office to grassroots. But we would really like to know where the bottleneck is because we are not giving our teams the best chance to succeed. Our ministry has really to tell us what they really intend to do so that they finish this kind of cry that Kenyan players are facing outside there. Because we've been following, even the other time, we're seeing our girls, I don't know whether they were the volleyball girls, football girls, they were stranded somewhere. That to me is something very bad. So how are we supposed to do elections or move on in swimming if court cases are there throughout? Shuja wasporti je unafikiri aje? Kwanza jambo sana nashukuru nimekuja hapa. 
I think our sports is doomed uh, and short of um, ICU. But this is not something that is uh, just happened. This is something that has immense over almost over two decades. The rot started well, well long time ago. So would you respond to some of the comments that you've heard? Those are all uh, very, very valid comments. Uh, and uh, you could s- feel the pain. I mean, I felt the pain from the voices that I heard. Uh, and I think it should be a real concern because sportsmen are sensitive. And, you know, when they give their heart out on the field, it's quite painful when you have to go through all this uh, tough situation. Well, there was a lot there to unpack. I, there were problems with funding. There were problems with lack of government support. So I seem to think, Shuja, that um, there's enough food in that particular commentary for us to run the whole program. Well, which, which for you is the most significant? I think all of the above. Uh, but again, I think it boils down to, I don't think our sports has been taken with the seriousness that it deserves. Uh the yesteryears, 30, 40 years ago, sports was more like a hobby, something you played for the passion. But in the last 20, 25 years, it's become a multi-billion dollar industry where people are earning, they're taking it as a profession. So the government, I think, needs to play a very important role to first recognize the importance of sports and then pr- look at how we can professionalize it. To the best of my understanding, the government has never played a significant role in funding sports. So why did that never happen? If, if our great Eliud Kipchoge, I doubt highly that he's attributing his success to the support of the Kenya government. Well, most of the individual sports persons, both men and women, have done well mostly because of their own efforts and their own initiatives. Exactly. And the family support that they got. But the government, I mean, look at the ministry that we have right now. You know, it's ministry of culture, etc. And then there's a little word called sports that comes in at the end. And then when you look at the budgets that are given, how are you expecting it to, to, to nurture it up? And you look at any successful nation in the world, in sports, they have a standalone ministry of sports with a very good budget. And I dare say a standalone ministry of culture. But let's go back because I, I think that this particular narrative, Shuja, that we're doing badly, uh, we've heard it all before in a manner, manner of speaking with respect. So if at one point in the days when we used to listen to Leonard Mambo Mbotela, Kadenge Nampira. Kadenge Nampira, in, yes. In the days when we knew that um, Serafina Antao, uh, a Kenyan Goan, was sort of sprinting long before Omanyala, we've slid down to the point where Kenya, from playing world test cricket, is now number 30, being beaten regularly by all our neighbors, uh, which are the sport, football. Uh, as I was saying, the CS says he's going to phone FIFA and everything will be okay within a couple of days in office. Kabisa. Because uh, decisions are not made on phone calls. The governance must be in place. And we're also hearing this idea that all our athletes, 
Every other Kenyan who runs now the biggest fear is that a day after the event they're going to be called out for doping. In fact, that's a huge problem right now. And Kenya, I think, um, is almost beating Russia, you know, in the doping uh, situation. And a lot of careers are, are ruined uh, because either lack of knowledge, uh, deliberate, or uh, lack of education on, on how one athlete needs to handle himself or herself. So you're saying there's there's a dying patient, Shuja, lying on the bed, and uh, we're just going to sort of start making the funeral arrangements, if I may proceed with such a gruesome analogy. No, it's not. It's the reality. I think we are on, on the deathbed, and the ICU last few breaths are left. We're just repeating the same discussion I mean, I can remember this discussion uh, with different journalists for the last 20 plus years. And there is really no change. (laughs) So the weirdo thing, are you trying to suggest that I shouldn't have invited you here? We shouldn't (laughs) be having this conversation. Uh, It's time to end, folks, uh, before we get to the break. Surely not. No, of course not. This is to reinstate uh, what the thoughts are across the sporting fraternity. Uh, We heard the seven... uh, people who were interviewed and you you as i said there were nobody had any good words to say so uh, i think again before we take the break i'm uh, you're going to be a mystery until the very end but i do know that of the sports mentioned in your prime at your prime whatever the preposition might be in the queen's english the king's english these days uh, the sports to mention are cricket above all and more of that later, and tennis. So I think that maybe one way to go with this conversation is to talk about what you know versus what I know. But before we get to that point, I did deliberately in my introduction talk about a new government with a new visionary, transformative, self-declared CS in the making. Do you think that this new government represents promise, hope, or are we just going to hear more from politicians and it will be more of the same? Uh, Like anything else, when you have a new broom, you know, you want to clean up, you want to make an impact. It's a breath of fresh air that has come in. The CS who was approved yesterday in the parliament has already had some experience at the sports ministry. He was the CS, I think, in 2013 around that period. So he already has a good feel. Uh, The people that I am talking to are giving good energy about him. But there's a long way to go. And if he is going to, my only advice to him would be, if he is going to go on a piecemeal solutions, then we're going nowhere. But you voted uh, as a Kenyan, I'm sure you voted. I did, sure did. But did you, uh, as, as a citizen, were you aware as a sportsman of what the government promised in its manifesto, in this case, the manifesto of Kenya Kwanzaa, as opposed to the rest. Well, the manifestos... I'm trying to tie you up Mm. by saying Mm. you'd have voted for the person who was best likely to represent your interests as a sportsman. Well, as you said, when the manifestos are presented during elections, the politicians, with all due respect to them, tell you what you want to hear not what you need to hear. And this has been the tradition for over the years, where we've been promised stadiums, we have been promised governance, we've been promised funding, and you just heard the the seven uh, public who are asked to speak on our sports. So 
I'm not too sure. But if they are sincere and they have a very clear direction of where they want to take this country, in my view, sports is and the creative industry are one, two industries that can create big time, immediate jobs for our young Kenyans who are looking for jobs. And the president's manifesto, like the, his predecessor, was to create jobs. Well, a good enough time for us to stop. As I say, this conversation is definitely not going to end in a way that is sufficient to me. But thank you. Let's take a break. Shruja, let us, with you being here, use cricket as our template game. We can comment on others if we would. But let's go back in time. We're talking 20, 30 years, and you're saying things are going downhill. We have a young audience, uh, much, much younger than me as presenter. Remind them of the glory days. In cricket, if we're number 30 now... Please tell an 18-year-old where we were once. Well, the Kenyan uh, cricket history starts in 1896 in Mombasa when the first cricket match was played, which I'm talking about 125 years ago. This was during the colonial time. And then up from the 1930s, there used to be an annual fixture between the Asians and the Europeans, which was a huge fixture annually played for almost 30 years. In the 60s, we were part of the East African zone where Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania and Zambia played an annual tournament where Kenya normally would win the tournament. The first Cricket World Cup was played in 1975 where East Africa played in the tournament and we had seven Kenyans who represented there. And as the Kenyans were doing well, in 1980-81, the Kenya Cricket Association felt that they were ready to branch out and get its own membership at the ICC. And long story short, we got our membership and then we started playing as Kenya. And every four years, there used to be a tournament called the Associate Trophies, where the young, younger nations below the test playing nation, for easier language, played a tournament every four years. And then the winner of the tournament would get an opportunity to play the next World Cup. Kenya kept growing from 82, then played 86, and then in 90, in Holland, we reached the semi-finals. And that was the sense of belief that Kenya, with the young team that we had, the, the, the hunger that was there, because we had a lot of Indian professionals and Pakistani professionals who used to come and play our domestic cricket. So that raised the game. And then in 94, the tournament was hosted in Kenya where 20 countries participated and three teams were to qualify. Kenya qualified for the first World Cup in 1996 where we beat the two-time world champions West Indies. We had a very credible performance. We then on in 97 got the one-day international status. And then we played the World Cup in England in 1999. And then we went on to play the 2003 World Cup famously where Kenya reached the semi-finals. So the cricket kept growing and from 2003 and like any success when you are successful everybody wants 
to be part of it. The good, the bad, the ugly. So a lot of people came in who should never have been even near to that to that situation. And because of politics, because of poor governance, the decline started. And the results are very clear where we are today. As you just said, we are now a team that reached the semifinals of the World Cup in just 20 years ago. Today is struggling to be number 30 at a Division 3 level. So that has been the history of cricket in Kenya. Thank you. I'd like to pick up on that history that you've given me. A, a very salient point that's coming across is that you yourself were a great cricketer of that time. There's no, there seems to be no nurturing of the young. There's, is that a false? So is that too difficult to achieve? I certainly know uh, in the privileged uh, stratum in which I had my education, uh, I was introduced to cricket, rugby, tennis at boarding school. But then the idea was that we were the elitist pigs, the sons and daughters of privilege. So therefore, should we be bothering to lament the past when this is the game of our colonial masters? Maybe there's a genuinely African game we ought to be playing. We shouldn't. We shouldn't lament anything that's the way it was meant to be because Kenya's got 47 million people at least 46 million of those people don't even know what cricket is well you see the the in any sport whether it's cricket or any sports there are two fundamentals that are very important one is your development structure because when you have a good team a sportsman life is very limited when that period is over What's coming through? So unless you have a good under 11, under 13, under 15, under 17, under 19, then the 18, that's where the nurturing takes place. But Shujar, you're answering your own question because you said this terrible situation has lasted for years and years. Are we saying that our management with successive governments have been so, whatever the adjective might be, that they never saw that the light was to create young players? Forget, forget cricket. We've got to find um, new footballers. Okay, I'm sure that when Kadenga, Halikwan, and Pira, they were winning the Gossage Cup or whatever it is. I know for a fact that Kenya was a great hockey-playing nation. Uh, maybe that we don't have AstroTurf or whatever. But we're saying, who is to be blamed? Because of, it's obvious that if you don't do something about something, it gets worse. Yes, definitely. That responsibility lies with the, every association. Because when an association is elected to run it, which in turn reports to the government, so it's a combination. But in terms of every sport, every association must take the responsibility of development. And the easiest way of development, as you touched on it, was in the olden years where every school had sports as an important subject, where playing was more or less compulsory. Every sport... If you look at it right now, it's almost non-existent. There has to be a good structure between the Ministry of Education and Ministry of Sports where they need to put those two together, more so now than ever. So that was one issue. The second way to improve is you must have quality domestic competition because that's going to up the game. And with that, you're going to attract money by getting sponsors. 
But if you have a week, well, the, the money. Could I, I, I? We do the odd bit of research. When the money came in, mm-hmm. when Kenya was a great world cricketing nation, the international board federation, what you folk choose to call it, was pumping in millions of dollars into this country, and I'm given to believe that those millions of dollars disappeared. Well, which is what dollars do at times. Well, you know, as I said, it's a very sad and even painful when I hear that from you also, because that's a, the talk everywhere. But no, that's, that's what, the research no, I've that's done. A, but that's a reality. What you're yes. saying is a reality. What I'm trying to say is that the association and the government play hand in hand, and that's where when the money comes in, it naturally attracts a lot of people, the good, the bad, the ugly. As you've said. Yeah. But what we needed then was to have a clear governance. Because if you are putting the right people in the wrong place or the wrong people in the right place, that's where we are right now. The results are clear across the board. Shuja, if we went for a walk with a, a, a very bright seven-year-old, everywhere we would come across signs that say, this is a corruption-free zone. This is a corruption-free zone. And the seven-year-old will ask, uncle, auntie, what is corruption? And you would reply, as a genteel uncle, corruption is doing bad things. Corruption is stealing. So, if for every single manifesto that we heard in the build-up to the elections, the promise that one was to get rid of, or the party, or the government was going to get rid of corruption, is this again an empty pie-in-the-sky promise that corruption, I'm asking you as a sportsman, I I haven't played anything international in my life, but are we stuck with this because it's in our DNA? We are genetically corrupt. Or is that the kind of insult that would have, you know, bottles of beer, you know, hit across my skull, blood bleeding? How dare you say that? That's what seems to be manifest. See, when you just use the word corruption, the word corruption in itself tells you that something is wrong. Indeed, in, I said a seven-year-old would recognize it's, it's it. a bad even, thing. It's sad, it's sad to even tell a youngster or yeah. to even have a signboard of corruption, meaning that things were wrong. Your question was, will there be a change? The way we are going, I've absolutely no change. But no, I made it slightly more pointed in the sense that one of we've just gone through an election process it was a month ago surely or maybe two months ago august i seem to remember august the 9th yeah the idea was we're going to get rid of corruption am i sort of meant to do an edward clay thing and sort of vomit on my shoes or some part of my body every time i hear this again john is this the first time you're hearing you're hearing it every time yes do you see any change i don't see any change but as we unpack you know our great slogan ideas over individuals you don't know who you are I'm saying you've been there, done mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And I will. it's one of those journalistic questions. I'm going to ask, keep on asking this question at least three more times before the hour is through. Is there a light at the end of the tunnel? Well, we live in hope. Uh, and as I said earlier, we have a new government. We have a new dispensation. Uh, the president uh, looks like he's very keen to have things moving. So well, let's give them the benefit of doubt. But I'm very making it very clear with the rider. If it's going to be business as usual, and if it's going to be piecemeal, uh, 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 what do you call, trying to clear things, then it's a complete waste of time. 
Okay, uh, I'll go back again. And th these are unfair questions. I don't know why one has to do this to people, but obviously maybe people are listening. I, I would like to ask you as an individual, when was the last time you remember somebody being brought to book publicly for having done something bad for the seven-year-old? Because if it hasn't happened now, is that going to be our first expectation of, there's the English expression, heads will roll. I, you know, I thought, you know, heads are very firmly stuck on necks for as long as I've lived. As I keep saying, and, and I'm repeating, that there is some hope with the new dispensation. And it has to happen very fast for a change to take place. And your question was, have I seen any? I haven't seen any. There are so many issues that we hear about uh, the corruption, but nothing is happening. We are just, it's going through motions, and by the time it dies off, another corruption uh, comes in. You've even forgotten what has happened three months ago. But the, the, there must be something that we, just as lay people, can work out, is that there must be, I, I keep on, every time I read these things about great things that were done in Singapore and there were the whatever people and then they were all we were all together in the 60s and now they've become tigers with skyscrapers we're still going to the point of the veiled insult in a bar or restaurant or you know soft drinks parlor that means you are incapable of making the value judgment switch and you deserve the society that you have. Indeed. I mean, you get what you deserve. And, uh, and I say, as much as I'm saying it's the government, it also boils down to me as an individual. How am I carrying myself, the responsibility that I have taken? Well, you seem well, to be suggesting that 46 million people, Kenyans are carrying themselves badly. Again, that's, that, that insult is going to go around. Remember, uh, you may have your religious affiliations, we define ourselves as a spiritual, God-fearing nation. Anybody who declares themselves otherwise is in for the high jump. I never said all the 46 million are, are done anything wrong. I said mm -hmm. the responsibility lies with all of us as individuals, wherever we are. Whether it's at home, whether it's in a workplace, or whether we are doing any social service, or whether we are running the sports uh, organizations, we must be credible with ourselves. We must set an example that we need to change the society. And as you keep giving the example of Singapore, it is the citizens who decided that they want, they had a leader who was inspirational and he made the citizens believe in him and the citizens followed and the results today, they are a pride in the global uh, nations. Well, uh, again, thank you very much for these responses. Do forgive me for making you look as if you made it all happen but now you're here, I think we're going to take another short break and I want to give you some sort of um, uh, glimpse of my preparation because I believe in the subconscious mind. You've come here on spec, not knowing what the hell I'm going to do to you. But what I'm going to do to you next is to give you some headline. I think we've dealt with the word corruption. We're going to go through some key words that pertain to our sport. And I'd just like to hear your comments and then towards the end, I'm going to sort of say to you, okay, it hasn't happened. Maybe your country hasn't called you. But if you were the CS, what would you do? So think, uh, and then we can um, 
by extension, what you would do is perhaps what uh, the one we have might do. there's the person who talked about governance an image from the cricketing world the KCA was disbanded they were told to go and um, come up with something it seemed to me that most of the people who formed the board or the uh, going to do the research they were retired judges so, I took, for, for, so a retired judge shouldn't inherently know something about cricket. The first thing that was sort of organized were meetings at White Sands, um, hotels at the coast because it's nice down there. There's a bit of a breeze. And uh, they came up with proposals. But one of the proposals that they came with in cricket is that since we have a devolved government, every single county ought to set up something that, represents a sport so i'm given to believe that places that you know they've never seen a cricket ball or bat let's not name names all of a sudden they were creating their local sort of sacos and they went to the national vote when they went to the national vote nairobi which we can name sort of bastions of the game mombasa kisumu they had the same clout they had the same voting power as the 44 others so what did they do? They refused to take part in the whole process. So we're stuck. We're having people. Why did, why did this happen? Why do intelligent people come up with solutions like that? See, the first of all, let's go back to where the whole thing originated. The Sports Act came in 2013, where the Sports Act's intention and the document was very good. I remember being part of the, um, that stakeholders meeting at Kasarani where the, this document was being formed. And the intention is to spread the sport in the 47 counties, which is a very noble idea. I dare say. But it cannot be done instantaneously because some of the counties have, for example, when you talk about cricket, they don't even have a facility to play cricket. They don't play any cricket. You're saying what I've said already. Correct. Maybe, maybe I said it incorrectly. No, no, you said it correctly. But what I'm trying to say is that the Sports Act f or the registrar forced the association to register the counties in the pretext of the Sports Act. Surely the Sports Act is that, but there is always a provision or a rider to say that, yes, membership can be given provided you give a, B, C, D. For example, if you talk about, an, because we don't want to name any counties, if you take... All I, the names of individuals. All the, not, of course. No, so, leave people alone. Yeah. But what, what, let's county? Yeah, yes. Can I mention a county, for example? Right. Yes, do. So let's take example of uh, Wajir County. Yes. Now, if Wajir County is going to be a member, surely you need to tell them, we're going to give you an associate membership, mm. not the main membership, and in two years or three years, we are giving you the following conditions to meet. So, for example, you need to have three cricket grounds. I'm just giving an example. Yes. You have uh, two tournaments a year. 
you need to have x number of cricketers and showing some kind of sport existing there so that you can then nurture your membership from associate to the national membership but if you just give somebody a membership where there is no cricket and has the same number of votes that a, a county that is dominating cricket like nairobi and mombasa and just a club in nakuru where is the sense of this whole thing and why does it all come in because the people who are managing have no clue about the sports whether we we talk about at any level okay well I, and I, that to me is yes. the fundamental problem of what happened in cricket well uh, we certainly have um, intelligent people listening they can make their own conclusions i also want to draw another thing this this idea uh, whenever you go to any conference they have a private public public private partnerships now it seems to me that government is reneging on its commitment basically that big word let me not use it is doing nothing and now we're in a situation where in a week's time we have a lowly county or organizing its own tournament there are some tough uh, world class cricketers coming to nairobi to play and it's not the government who organized it isn't this a bad sign that we, it's it's now the wild west absolutely what so is, we're yeah. going against the whole notion of of devolution because the, the the heavy hitters are going to be still hitting heavy we'll still have internationals and basically the government will have nothing to do with it so well, there's, there's there's no uh, control and that seems to be a great sadness indeed because what has happened now is that there is lost hope in the cricketing circle when you have a private organization or a private community or a private which is of course very welcomed because there are still a lot of people who love the sport of cricket in this country because we have a rich heritage we have a rich history but when you don't have the provincial body working in tandem with the clubs with the community or the national body not working with the provincial body where they are not at, at on one page what are you expecting the time has come where people are going to move on and so things are moving on the normal procedure would be for a tournament to be held in nairobi it needs approval from the provincial body because it's being held in this county same way if you are then also get the blessings from the national body but when you have people at loggerheads court cases are just flying you got people with weak credibility if i could put that way running this organization you can see the results of where we are the players don't get money on time even the national players that are playing right now do and, and they're poor you might as well go absolutely you, you poor, relatively i don't wish to insult well, them perhaps yeah. they're richer than i am mm. but I, it seems to me that to play here at home is somewhat less than playing in the uh, premier league and we've had the odd kenyan footballer who's played sure. in the premier league yes onyama uh, yes right so they they've they've done all this but we're not remunerating our sportsmen okay but that's we can pass i i shouldn't you, you've got nothing to do with it but you might have something to do with the idea that we're losing out on competing at the international level so in the east african safari rally joginda singh vic preston junior Uh, whoever it was Shekhar Mehta Shekhar Mehta and Mike Doughty Patrick Njiru Patrick Njiru yeah. I remember all now uh they will say you know that the horrendous uh, imperialists out there are locking us out but they're saying we haven't organized our sport to the point where their safety measures 
which ensure that it's safe enough to go whizzing around at so many kilometers per hour. And we're losing, again, re reading the papers, we're losing young talent to accidents that should never perhaps have happened. We see people sort of Lewis Hamilton and people, you know, going around the track, the car catches fire, and five seconds later the driver walks out. But here, our young hopefuls are dying, poor dears, because we, we, we can't guarantee their safety to international standards. Comment. Well, yeah. Unfair, but comment. True. No, it's, a, it's fair what you're saying again, but that's what I'm saying. It comes back to having competent, qualified people to run. You know, it's like, uh, John, if, if I told you to run XYZ company, or you are the owner uh, well, of Well, please don't do that. I've never got the faintest. I'll read you a poem. Uh, okay, I'll quote you a little Shakespeare. But yeah, continue. And then would you put somebody who is not qualified to run that organization? No, certainly not. Absolutely not. So it's the same situation here. And how are these positions coming into the, the governance? Is either through nepotism, through corruption, and the same through, through and weak and the same people and recycling this, and this, and staying in put uh, in positions that you know they were in 20 years ago but still. i would have no problem with that as long as they were delivering as right. long as they were performing right in the yesteryears in cricket there were also people who stayed in the system for a very long time yes but you saw the results and i and let's not pretend politics is going to be part and parcel of life and i do accept it said as a, just to give a figure 10 to 15% can be politics. 85 to 90% must delivery to the sport and to the, to the sports people. Currently, I would reverse it. It's 90% politics and 10% the sport is being played for the sake of it being played. And to me, that's a huge tragedy because a sports person's life has a shelf line. At a high level where he can earn money, he can have a profession for, for say 10, 15 years. And the rest of his life, how is he going to survive if he's not going to make the most of that 10, 15 years? He's going to be writing poetry like me. I've got a solution, but I'm being facetious. <laughs> uh, let me give you some other words. Doping, match fixing. Now, every... That's, again, another major problem we have right now. You know, I mean... It, Kenya has become a global talk on doping. Mm. And that's a tragedy. No, but, yeah, but, but Shuja, the question again is, should, be, should, should I be waiting for somebody to come into your house, your apartment, your residence, whatever you live in, and sort out what's going wrong in your family? In other words, we wish to live in fear of the sort of Olympic thing saying, okay, come to the loo, uh, give us some pee, we must analyze it immediately. Do we not have, okay, we won't name countries that don't do it or try to overcome it. It doesn't seem to me as if we ourselves are putting in place a process of A, educating our athletes as to what is bad. I mean, I could sort of take a cough syrup because I've got a cough, dash off and run in Vancouver, and then I'm eliminated for being the worst person in the world. And then we pass on the buck, we say, oh no, ni coach, ni Wow, we overseeing the overseers. Again, very good point, and, and you've touched on it. It's lack of education. We need to educate our sports persons from the time they get into the sport so that they know the do's and the don'ts at international level. 
I will let me add something else, uh, which is another big problem: is where our athletes make money, and after certain years they are broke. I always say, making money is difficult, but managing money is much more difficult. So it's a continuous process of educating, educating. And educating, but African solutions to African problems, Kenyan solutions to Kenyan problems. Absolutely. Let, let's assume that these athletes don't have uh, a sort of uh, Ivy League education. I mean, I, I for one know very little about sort of financial planning or something. But it would be nice if somebody who did, maybe perhaps like you, were to advise me on how to best manage my money. So there are exceptions to the rule. Apparently, if you go to Eldoret. There's a hotel every five meters which belongs to somebody who won yes. the thing. Okay, fine, but that doesn't represent the norm. It doesn't represent. We're going back to the success of the individual as opposed to the success of the country. And other countries, because they want athletic success, they actually poach our athletes. You know, somebody who was sort of you know booboo dabadoo today becomes Al Hajj, whatever it is tomorrow, and they're running for Qatar. That means it's a savage indictment of our own system. Comment, please. Well, I agree with again what you're saying. When I said education does not mean that we want people from outside to do it, we have enough assets, resources in the country, but we must be we must have the ability to tap that resources, and it's the responsibility for the associations, it's the responsibility for the NOC, the Olympic, to bring these people together because that is. Part of their manifesto, or that is part of their governance system, where they need to look after the the sports person. Coaching. Sorry, we're going faster, faster. We're in a matatu now. Mm. Coaching. Uh, another image. You know, we've got our teams, football, whatever. The coach always they've brought in Jimmy Jibibilich from you know uh, Brukrania to 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 coach our people. Does it mean that in all this, all these years since independence? We don't have homegrown talent. I mean, I won't personalize it. No, sorry, I won't personalize. Why don't we have homegrown coaches? Is it for football or general? General. Well, I mean, like like I said earlier, is the cricket? Yeah. There, is there such a thing as a Kenyan cricket coach? It is. There is. What is currently currently is a local coach. Okay, so sorry, I'm sorry I said yeah. that, but I, maybe I'm reading the wrong papers. No, but but l- l- let me uh, answer it this way. As I told you earlier, when you have a company that you are, it's worth millions of dollars. You want the right CEO to run it. Yes. So it does not matter where he is from, as long as he does the job. Of course, your first preference would be the homegrown. But if that's not available or it's not good enough, and then the homegrown homegrown nine times out of ten isn't paid and leaves after a week. Well, I mean, that's again a a, a constant problem we've had with the players, with the coaches. Another break. Oh my goodness, this is so rich. This conversation. Shuja, 19 hours, 17. Uh, Let's just go back on my wish list. Lack of facilities. Our young people went off to the Commonwealth Games recently. They said, oh, we've never seen... If only we played on a thing like this at home, we'd be far better. Comment, please. Yes, definitely. Again, uh, facilities are very important. I mean, over the years, when you... Let's talk on uh, cricket, uh, because I'm 
a little bit conversant on that most of the facilities are privately owned clubs now how are you expecting a regular citizen to go and play in a private club so first and foremost and i remember this years ago when there were playing grounds for the public in the estates there were public grounds where one could go and play or the schools there was an arrangement where a young sports person could go and play so the creation of public playing spaces it's paramount it's paramount because you need the the youths to be able to go with the lifestyle that we all lead right now with the traffic with with the with the, all the challenges we have you need to have facilities in every and that's normally in every city in the world kenya was equally that good but then land grabbing started we had uh, properties being taken over from playing fields to properties so where are you expecting this young pilgrim so to go to the solution we need to have public facilities for the youngsters to be able to go and play a nice segue as the americans call these things um as head juror of kiss last year one of the films that won was this problem of land grabbing in Correct. india and yes. the social messaging of doing that so i want you to wear remove hat number 1 because you know we've got a lot and put on the hat where you're a commissioner of the kenya film commission uh and uh you may be reelected to serve uh, another term but i want you to go into the whole area of solutions and i know because we we were we spent time together last year that it's your firm belief that the two there could be a kind of synergy between uh, the idea of the creative industry uh sports as big business C- could you tell us about your experience on the commission and could you tie it up indeed where we started with the festival for this year one of when we were appointed um, in the commission that was in 2019 when the then minister was uh, jo mucheru in the ict he was very clear in his um, discussion with the entire commission that that included a message from his excellency the president uru kenyatta that kenya must become a filming destination and we must promote the creative industry because that also fitted in to creating jobs for the youths because that was part of his manifesto so a lot of work was done towards improving the governance improving the systems improving the structures and i can proudly say that over the last 3 years the board has done a fantastic job and it's now ready to take off it is a very in other words it's done a more fantastic job than the much ridiculed f- some minutes ago uh, the board that sorted out cricket of the retired judges well you the, were slightly better uh, by far okay <laughs> but of course time will meaning, will meaning that we will see results indeed so what kind of results are we likely to see i'm for, listening i'm listening to what you're saying so i'm not yeah. just being facetious for facetious sake one thing that is necessary yeah. one thing is uh, we have in fact the commission spent over $300,000 on what we call film mapping f- to attract the foreign countries of foreign filmmakers to come to Kenya film mapping is giving you different locations in this country where you can look at film before coming for raki you could you could get a feel of what Kenya has to offer 
there are one-stop uh, issues of where, you know, right now the, uh, there are so many bureaucracies for a filmmaker to come in. If he needs to shoot in the wildlife, he needs to go get a license elsewhere. He needs to shoot in Nairobi, he needs to go... So there are too many red, red tips that are being uh, consolidated to make it easier. That's as far as the international is concerned because that was one of the mandate for the Kenya Film Commission is to market ourselves internationally. At the same time, the one of the areas that the Kenya Film Commission is, is created what we call an empowerment fund. An empowerment fund is something where the filmmakers are asked to produce movies where the Kenya Film Commission is giving funds for those they believe can do the filmmaking. There's a lot of encouragement at the university level. We have film hubs now at Dead and Kimathi University and a couple of the universities that, that are being worked on in different counties. So we're trying to spread it at Mashinani level because we need to go there. Kenya is not Nairobi. Nairobi is not Kenya. We have much more things to do. So it's a work in progress, which I feel that the platform has been set and whoever the new board comes in, I wish them well because they are ready to, to really take us to a new level. May I talk a bit about Shuja about consumption and target audience and I'll give you a personal anecdote. I know that for our local TV stations you can make as many films as you want but they're not going to show them because I don't know you have to pay them or something so let's assume that for now we don't have a ready market at home and then as a broadcaster whenever it's suggested that I might sort of um present for Channel 4, whatever. They look at the name and they say, ah, this is a fellow from Africa. Uh, we can't quite cope. The The listening public, in, the woman in her kitchen in Kent will not understand. So we cannot export our product because the understanding is that we'll be speaking so much gobbledygook that you know the international market won't understand. So we don't have jobs at home and we don't have jobs abroad. And you're saying the creative industry is going to create jobs. So you can sense my cynicism before I declare it. What you're talking about is distribution, the end product of a movie or, or a TV serial that's done. What Indeed. you're saying, because Indeed. that's where the money comes in. Indeed. So that's where we need... And I'm saying we're failing to distribute. Absolutely. Yeah. Not, we, not we are failing, we have failed. Yes. So that's an area. So that why did you say this no, is no, great? This uh, is let me great answer. That. No, no. Yes. It's a work in process. We cannot do everything together. However, distribution is the key to the success of the creative industry because you can have all the movies that you do, but if it does not bring money to the pocket, then it's meaningless. So distribution is an area that can only work if the media houses and the all the stakeholders that are concerned work together towards it where greed should not be in the forefront it's very critical and and you it's a very good point you brought up because without distribution is as good as nothing so that's something that is a work in progress that needs to be developed where we make need to make the distributors understand and the end product users now, we're uh, 1925. I'm going to allow you to say a few words about the Kenya International Sports Film Festival, KISF 2022. Uh, tell the people what is happening. I think it's, again, this is a national product and we should be proud of it. So what's going to happen in the next four days? I set you up in the beginning. 
but very quickly if you would yes thank you kenya international sports film festivals inception was 2018 uh where we get movies from around the world in fact every year we average over 1200 movies that come in from over 100 countries and of course through the criteria the, the juries are appointed you are one of them last year you were the head jury i said so in the beginning yes so we go through all these motions and then over the four days we screen about 50 plus movies from selected by the jury and we showcase over the the four days and of course uh, thanks to covid we did an online uh, version where in nine, in 2020 we had over 39000 followers last year we had 139000 followers so this year is going to be hybrid where in those four days we also discuss various subjects affecting sports in kenya and internationally so we welcome all the the listeners to join us online on our our platform on the social media platforms on Kenya International Sports Film Festival Who are you My name is Asif Karim I'm a former international sportsman for for Kenya in cricket for 23 years and having played tennis Davis Cup I am also a businessman now and I practice arbitration and mediation and I'm the chairman of Safina's foundation which is the brainchild of Kenya International Sports Film Festival and the Sports Monthly magazine which we published for the last 22 years. So tell us about those glory days. Uh you in fact were captain of the uh Kenya team. So you were going head to head with legendary names like Hansi Kranya and all uh what does that do when do you still yearn for those glory days are they the apex of your achievement? You know when we uh, cricketers at that time we all started as social cricketers who played and felt good if you played it for our country I mean that was the ultimate goal for any amateur cricketer but as we progressed uh, being amateurs and to reach at that world level I mean you cannot ask for a better uh, uh, opportunity than that I mean there are millions of cricketers in the world but there are very few cricketers who have played world cup even professional cricketers in the test playing nations have played for their country or have played at the test level but they have yet to play the world cup and you played we, you we play, were fortunate but the, you you yourself have played in two world cups in three world cups three world three cups three world cups yeah right so i'm going to say what uh, could you do a pitch for uh, the sport uh, what are the benefits for you to talk to the young talk to parents Uh what's the big deal about ta- guiding our children towards sports could you encapsulate that in a minute yeah. sports is a very important uh, part and parcel of today's life it is an opportunity that can create uh, uh, wonderful things ahead in terms of creating jobs in creating a profession i mean i'm a recipient because of tennis i managed to get a four year tennis scholarship to the united states in the 80s and you went to the same university as Kamala Harris indeed in fact oh. we we graduated the same year you graduated <laughs> friends in high places i'm going to stick close to you <laughs> so i think sports should be taken very seriously and it should start at home i i would request all the parents to encourage their children more so now than ever because there are so many other opportunities that the youngsters have including social media it is here to remain but let's put sports ahead 19 hours 29 minutes 24 seconds we have to stop there <laughs> do continue to give us feedback 
hopefully positive and reassuring on the Twitter handle at capital FM Kenya or drop us a text or WhatsApp message on 0701984984. I've been talking to Asif Karim, Kenya sports hero, chairman of the Kenya International Sports Film Festival 2022 to begin tomorrow till Sunday and outgoing commissioner of the Kenya Film Commission. And you've been listening to John Sibio Kumu on Wednesday. Thank you so very much for doing that again, most kindly. Until next time.